He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis with Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. It's a TriCast. It's on WLIR in Long Island, WABC Radio on the whole East Coast, and 970 AM, The Answer. In the studio with us, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, we have Chairman Ed Cox, and Governor David uh, Patterson. Lydia Serrani on my, on my, as my sidekick. And I understand we have some breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. Well, we have two pieces of breaking news. Well, three pieces now. Governor Hochul, she appointed a new chief judge. Also, ex-FTX CEO, he's out on a $250 million bond. He'll be staying with his parents. And that $1.7 trillion budget deal, it has now passed. So we got a lot to talk about, guys. Wow. Yes. A lot to talk about. So let's tell us about our first guest. Let's go to our first guest, Ambassador John Bolton. He's the author of The Room Where It Happened. Uh, welcome back to Cats at Night, Ambassador Bolton. Uh, of course, we have, to, with you. we have to talk about President Zelensky, the Ukrainian president. He was in Washington, D.C. yesterday. And explain to our, our listeners why this is so important for us to back Ukraine basically on the world stage. Well, this is, uh, I think, President Zelensky summed it up uh, quite well last night when he said to Congress that the aid that we've been providing to to help defend Ukraine against the Russian invasion, he said, this is not charity. Uh, This is an investment, really. We're doing this uh, not out of the goodness of our hearts, but because it's in American national security interest to aid Ukraine to prevent the Russians or the Chinese who are watching this very carefully from thinking that they can engage in uh, unprovoked aggression at no cost. And if that idea gets out there in places that are vital to American national interest, as Europe has been since at least 1945, the end of World War II, uh, and, and many places in Asia, then, then we're just going to find more of it. This, this is something that the Ukrainians are fighting that benefits us, benefits the Western Europeans. Uh, and I don't think our political leaders honestly have made this case effectively enough. You have to talk to the American citizens like adults. And, and tell them what the Russian threat represents, what we need to do to stop it, and why it's in our interest to stop it. I it's think if it's you do Russia. That, they the, will. The good news is Russia is no longer a threat to the NATO countries. In other well, words, you know, Secretary of Defense, you're right. Secretary of Defense Austin said earlier this year that the Kremlin, and these are his words, the Kremlin is feeding its army into a wood chipper. And every day that goes by, that army gets less threatening, uh, not just in Ukraine, but but all around Europe. The issue there, Ed Cox here, uh, uh, Ambassador, but the issue there is that's what the Russians have done in every war they've done. But in the end, just the manpower prevails. Do you think that could happen in the Ukraine just by while it is a wood chipper and uh, they're, they are killed uh, uh, by large numbers, yet they just keep coming. Right. Now, look, it's a, it's a very important point, and I think it highlights, uh, I mean, we want to stand with Ukraine, but from the U.S. point of view, we also need a strategy of how this is going to end yep. uh, in, in a victory. And the Biden administration, now going on almost a year, uh, as we come to year's end, uh, still doesn't have a strategy for victory. It's aid, which has been considerable to Ukraine, has tended to be a day late and a dollar short. 
I'm not defending the performance of the other Europeans in, in NATO, the Germans and the French in particular, whose contribution has been way below their capabilities. But, but we need something larger than just having the thing drag out and appear to simply be throwing money at it. Now, that's not, in fact, what's happening. But uh, if you listen to the White House, they talk about how many billions of dollars of aid we've given as if it's some big social welfare program. I mean, we need to talk about why this is an American interest, how we're going to win it, why that's an American I think the American people will uh, accept this and support it. Uh, Ambassador, it's Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. Let me ask you uh, a couple of questions. What is a victory for Ukraine in this conflict, and what is a victory for U.S. and, and Western Europe interests? Well, you know, the, the prime minister of Finland uh, uh, this a couple of months ago now was, was asked, how does this end in Ukraine? And what she said, I think, is exactly right. She said, how does this end? It ends when the Russian troops are out of Ukraine. That's how it ends. Including uh, Crimea? I think including Crimea. Sure. Look, this is something when the Soviet Union broke up in 1991, the, the prime ministers of Russia, Belarus and Ukraine met at a hunting lodge in Belarus. Boris Yeltsin, the first elected president in Russian history, signed an agreement essentially to break up the Soviet Union with each of the constituent republics becoming independent along the border lines they held inside the Soviet Union. So Russia wasn't forced to do this. It's the most legitimate president they've ever had in a free and fair election agreed to it. The Duma agreed to it. That's what they agreed to. Uh, if, if you want to talk about a mutual, peacefully agreed-upon change of borders, that's one thing. But border change by military aggression is something we said in 1945. We're not going to let happen in Europe again because it hurts America when it does. So, so Ambassador, if we have that kind of a victory, what's the impact? Let's look at the worldwide impact. Number one competitor, China. What's the impact on China? Well, I think China is watching what's happening right now very carefully, and they've got a number of targets uh, they've already picked out. That Taiwan is certainly one. The entire South China Sea is another. Uh, they've been building up uh, military bases along their land border with India. They have a very, very big appetite. And I think they believe if the U.S. can't defend its vital national interest in Europe, of all places, where we've got in NATO the most successful political military alliance in history, how are we going to do it as far away as all the way across the Pacific? So uh, th this is people have been saying maybe we're at a hinge point in history here. The hinge point is if we don't stop the Russians uh, effectively, uh, we, we could be seeing a world where chaos and aggression uh, grows in ways we haven't seen in a long time. So that raises the question of what military assistance we're giving. Uh, I understand no long-range stuff that could go into Russia, no planes that could go into Russia. But how about battle tanks? We're not giving them the battle tanks that we could, none of the uh, A1 uh, Abrams tanks, for example. Uh, right. Look, I think, I think that's, I think that's a correct point. I also think the Germans could do a lot better. But, you know, this is just an example. Uh, the Germans are supposed to be a key element in NATO's rapid reaction force. And in an exercise about two weeks ago, uh, where they were supposed to be leading it, 18 of their tanks broke down in the middle of this exercise. Uh, so, you know, NATO's got a lot of catching up to do. I, I'm not so worried about uh, the, the threat this is going to escalate into a larger war. I think that's Putin trying to intimidate, to deter the NATO alliance. He, he's the one who's in trouble right now. He is, but he has succeeded at intimidating uh, Biden to a certain extent, has he not, let alone yes, Europe? No, I think – I think that's a very serious problem. And, and I think uh, just going back, uh, 
I'm sure people remember when uh, the Ukrainians asked that they get uh, MiGs that the that the Polish military had, uh, literally Soviet-era MiG jets that their pilots were trained on. And Secretary of State Blinken said on one of the t- Sunday talk shows we were going to approve that transfer, and the president overruled it. Uh, you know, that's the kind of mistake repeated time after time extends the war and increases Russia's chances for a stalemate so that they might win politically and diplomatically what they can't win on the battlefield. In that regard, Ambassador, what about Belarus uh, using their land for attacks by the Russian forces? And what about Belarus coming into this conflict? Well, I think there's a lot of concern about that. Putin was just in Minsk, the capital of uh, Belarus. Uh, That's another whole frontier uh, basically open. I mean, the Ukrainians, uh, I think as Ed was saying earlier, you know, they've 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 got only so many forces as it is compared to the Russians. And if you have another couple of hundred miles of frontier opened up again, that could change the shape of the battle. So this this is why uh, if, if you're going to get into a conflict like this, uh, the, the sooner, the quicker you can win it, the better, because the longer it drags out, the greater the chance in this case that the Russians will find that they have generals who are creative and good, good uh, tacticians, that they'll have units that still know how to fight. Uh, and, and that put, will put an enormous strain on Ukraine, which itself, let's not forget, has, has also endured pretty heavy casualties here. Ambassador Bolton, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, he's getting a lot of heat for a segment, well, most of his show, actually, where he said uh, Zelensky has declared war on Christianity. What do you make of all this kind of anti-Zelensky rhetoric that is happening, specifically in the Republican Party? Well, you know, it's uh, uh, the, the virus of isolationism is, is loose in the party. There's no doubt about it. The, the idea that Zelensky has declared war on Christianity has no factual support, whatever. Uh, uh, he is Jewish himself. I don't know whether that's an implied uh, anti-Semitic criticism by Tucker. Uh, but I don't know of anybody in Ukraine who seriously believes that to be the case. Uh, th- this is the kind of thing that... Uh, uh, when it's not countered effectively, leads people to be very confused about what's going on. I come back to our political leaders. If if you explain the facts to the voters, which we haven't done enough of for a long time, certainly not in the past year, then 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 their support for Ukraine might uh, might dissipate. But if they understand yes. how important this is to us, then I think they'll stick with it. I no, I agree. Now there's something that Tucker Carlson might not know. And, uh, you know, I represent the, the patriarch in Constantinople, which is, sits on equal ground, uh, with, uh, uh, the Pope in Christianity. And so I called, uh, Father Alex, who, uh, works with the patriarch, and I said, what's going on? When I heard this this morning, uh, he says that there's competition. I said, the patriarch of Constantinople is representing the Ukraine Orthodox Church, but the Russian Orthodox Church uh, is starting to stir the pot in in the Ukraine because they want they want uh, the Ukraine back. Yeah, well, that's why I say I think I think this is Russian propaganda. You know, uh, about I guess it's three or four years ago. John, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Uh, became autocephalous. In other words, it separated itself from the patriarch in Moscow. Yes. And the Russian, the Russian, and, and they went like with uh, Constantinople. 
Right. And but they they wanted they wanted a Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They didn't want a Russian Orthodox Church. And uh, but but they still permitted as a kind of freedom of religion that churches that still uh, felt loyal to the patriarch in Moscow could still practice their religion the way they want it. Uh, so what what the Ukrainians have tried to do is enhance freedom of religion for two different uh, uh, kinds of churches here. And, and I think now, unfortunately, the Russians are trying to take advantage of that. But I'm, I've, I've watched this question carefully from when I was in the White House. I'm not aware of any repression of any religion in Ukraine. I'm sure there are things that are done wrong there, like every other country in the world. But the notion that somehow Zelensky is persecuting Christians is flat wrong. Ambassador Bolton also... Uh, Kevin McCarthy, he said, you know what, we don't want to give a blank check to Ukraine. And I think a lot of people would also agree with that. While we support Ukraine, we also want to make sure that every single dollar goes where well, it needs you, to go. You want checks and balances, but I think we got a bigger mess on our hands. This afternoon, the $1.7 trillion uh, budget was passed by Senator Schumer, uh, <clears throat> gave uh, – a senator's uh, cinema and senator's mansion, mansion right? a deal that they couldn't say no to. So right. what yeah, is that? I, I, I think these omnibus bills actually weaken Congress. You know, there are 12 appropriations subcommittee who, if they were doing their jobs, would pass 12 separate bills each year with the full budget. This is not a way to run the railroad. I think the critics uh, are exactly right on this point. The question is what you do at the end of the year. Uh, but when, I, I need an explanation like why uh, Mitch McCullough went along with it, and they ended up with 69 uh, to what? 68 yeah, it was to 28 or something like that. 68 and, and, to 28. We, we needed border security in there, not and not for the Middle East, for they, our border. They, they, they but gave border, border security, security. They gave border security to, uh, to everybody except our own border. That's right. We don't have in that bill, Ambassador, it's not provided for southern border security for the United States. Well, that's that's the fault of the of the of the Biden administration, which has steadily weakened the border from trying to get rid of the stay and remain in Mexico policy to Title 42. But on the appropriations issue, if you want a strong Congress to deal with the Biden administration, Congress has to do its job. It has to act like a legislature when it comes together only at the end of the year like this. It's no wonder key priorities get lost. Congress has done this to itself under Republican and Democratic leadership alike for Decades, and this this is the consequence of it. I think it's because they wink at each other, and this is how they do business. At the end of the year, they can pile everything on. Well, it goes back to uh, President Trump, and you know he's got President Trump has a lot of problems on his own, but he wanted to get rid of the, slump, the swamp. The swamp got rid of him. Ooh! All right. All right. Thank you, thank you, Ambassador, and uh, thank Merry you for Christmas. loving America. Merry Christmas. Merry sir. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, and, uh, Take care now. Thank you. Everybody stand by. And second, uh, right after this, we're going to have Melissa DeRosa on. And I understand she's got some hot issues to talk about. But before that, there's a WABC Christmas party going on in the studio. And uh, everybody that's anybody in our studio is here. And uh, they want to say Merry Christmas to her. Uh, well, us. we've we've got Rudy Giuliani, we've got uh, Dr. Maria, we've got Dominic Carter, we've got Greg Kelly, everybody, Teddy's here, of course, and Margot Katzmatidis, most importantly. I don't know if they, I don't know if this, the station's going to go on afterwards if they all drink too much. No. <laughs> <laughs>
And there's a uh, President Chad Lopez. Are we coming in? Are you guys coming in to say hello? Well, I'm not sure. Dr. Maria is looking very beautiful there. Look at that in her sparkly outfit. Oh, okay. Well, let's take a break. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, it's Christmas party at WABC. We have all all our stars here. And, uh, Rudy, say hello to our audience and say Merry Christmas to our audience. Merry Christmas, and I stuck around for the Christmas party. Wow. (laughs) Great show. Great show. Hi, this is Dr. Maria from Uncovering the Truth on Sundays at 10 a.m. Wishing you all a very happy holiday season. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Dominic Carter. Hi, Mr. Casamatidis, Lydia, Governor, Judge, everyone. Mayor, Mayor, Mayor Giuliani, Dr. Ryan. Happy holidays, most importantly to our listeners here at WABC. You folks are wonderful. Yeah. And thank you yeah. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. What about Margo? Margo. 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 I want to wish all the WABC family and listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah. and Enjoy the holidays and be with your family and give them a hug and kiss and to know what life really means. And I think we have Greg Kelly over here. That's right. Where's I'm Greg? in the booth. I'm in the booth. I'm in, <laughs> you see me in the control room. You're in the control room. Yes. How are you? you and you know what? Control. John and Margot and all you guys, once again, yeah, I have to tell you, I did not have that the Christmas spirit until about eight seconds ago. Until 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 this moment. Seriously. It's been everyone rushes around, you know, and it felt Greg, like Thursday. Have, listen, you got to be thankful. You have two beautiful kids. Oh, they're gorgeous. And uh, you work hard. You got beautiful a great woman. job. You, you you make you tell people the truth, and and, and your, your father is proud of you. So you got a great Christmas. I do, and you know what? Now that uh, now that you know, it's it's now Christmas. Quite frankly, it's Thursday. It feels like Christmas. Like you know what? You know what I mean. When yep. you got those two kids, you got the job, you can run around like a lunatic, not appreciating stuff, and forgetting that it's uh, you know almost Christmas Eve. It felt like Thursday to me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm very grateful uh, to you and all of you, Lydia and Ed, We're and the governor too. and you guys and Rich and uh, the rest and Rudy. Anyway, um, thank you. Thank you, and Merry Christmas, everybody. Very proud, Merry right? Christmas. Merry Christmas. doesn't get better than WABC. Wow. All right, now, who do we have on the line? Melissa DeRosa. She is a former secretary to Governor Cuomo. No, and it's not a secretary secretary. That's a technical word. That means she was chief of she staff. Was chief of chief staff. Of she staff. was, t- she was the right. She's running the show. She's top dog. Uh, if you want to get to Cuomo, you have to stop at her desk first. She she's she's a tough girl. She's a tough lady. And we like tough ladies here at WABC Radio. Welcome back to Cats and Night, Melissa DeRosa. Thank you so much for having me, guys. And next time I'm coming in person. It sounds like you guys are having quite Yeah, why did you invite her? <laughs> oh, did we not you invite her? You should have invited some of our uh Did we not invite her? So Melissa, well, we you know, you know we, we'd love to have you in in the new year, we'd love to have you in the studio and we'll sit you next to David Patterson. I would love that. Sounds good. Melissa, so De- uh, Melissa DeRosa, I know you're hot on this one issue, bail reform, plus those pay raises. Governor Hochul looks like she couldn't get it done. Tell us all about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, what the heck is going on in Albany? 
Well, you know, so the last couple of weeks, out of, seemingly out of nowhere, the, the issue of the pay increase for the legislature drops from the sky. And it leaks out through Twitter, through the reporters. And, you know, I was talking to some rank-and-file members. None of them had any idea what was going on behind the scenes. But clearly, Governor Hochul and the legislative leaders were negotiating a pay raise. And in the last, you know, week and a half, the, you know, $40,000 question has been, what is Hochul going to get in return for this? This is the maximum leverage point for a governor. And Governor Patterson sitting in the room. I don't, and, and you know. And by, by the way, Melissa, Ed Cox here, way back when, in 1999, it got Governor Pataki charter schools in December I, you know, in exchange for a pay raise. That, Chairman, and I, I, I said, just that, I said, you know, George Pataki not only got charter schools, he got a package for the dairy farmers, and he also got structural reform and said, if the budget is late, then you're going to withhold the pay for legislators. So he got a number of things. And then when it came up, you know, when I was working for Governor Cuomo, we said, we're not going to do this unless you ban outside income and you go to the congressional model, which is 15 percent of a pay increase. And we went through a commission. Um, And so this is the, the maximum point of leverage that a governor has to get things done. And so everyone's sort of been guessing, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? And then the answer came today, which is absolutely nothing. So they went forward and got this 60% pay increase at a time, obviously, when families are struggling. And you can argue about the cost of living in New York City and, you know, the city council. Well, it but wasn't it a 29% increase? It's like $32,000. So this isn't yeah. a cost of living increase. Let's make that clear. This is 29%, right? How many thousands well, 60, of dollars? 60%. $32,000, wasn't it? Oh. Yeah. Oh. And so... So they went in and, you know, oh there had been God. rumors that they were going to ban outside income and go to the congressional model, which is 15 percent of what you make. You're allowed to make an outside income, which for your listeners just means if you own an apartment and you're subletting it, you can make money on that or, you know, various other professions that lawmakers have. Uh, Shelly Silver can make an extra five million in his law firm. And then the bill comes out and, and it shows it's China. actually 25 percent. So then the editorial board felt like they'd been had and the Times Union came out strongly against it and the Daily News came out strongly against it. And lo and behold, they convened today. The legislature took up the pay increase. And I think the larger story here is that Hochul got nothing. And I think people are sort of looking at the tea leaves in terms of what is next year going to be like. You know, she won her election by the skin of her teeth. It was five points in a you know state where there's two times the number of Democrats and Republicans. It was an incredibly tight race. And she was coming in, I think, weak to begin with. And then you see this sort of standoff with the legislature. And the New York Post reported last night that she had actually been saying she wanted to do bail reform in order to do the pay raise. And the legislature told her to go pound sand, and she, and she blinked. And she so pounded sand. Right. So, and, sorry? And she, and she pounded sand. sand. Melissa, it's... Uh, exactly. it's is it a done deal? Is it over? But she didn't sign it yet, did she? Well, the, the, she has not signed it yet, but she was publicly supportive, and so she said unequivocally, "The legislators deserve a pay increase," and so I support it. And so I don't know now. You know, she's put her feet in cement. I don't know how she goes. If back she vetoes it, they over they override. Yeah, but the, then let, let, let them do that. No, actually, I mean, she well, have the courage what, to do that. Actually, actually. If she were to veto it, say on December 31st, they can't come back because they'd have well, to. They'd only be legislating for the next two years. I think you've got to give her lessons, uh, uh, Governor Patterson. Uh, and more than that, Governor, take it one step further. Today is December 22nd, so if they send her the bill today, she's got 10 days to act. 
because you don't count Sundays, it automatically kicks into January, which puts you in pocket veto land. Exactly. So that means that she wouldn't ha- if she, all she has to do is not sign it, and it's an automatic veto in January. Well, I so hope Melissa, she has the courage. So I, I hope she has the courage not to sign it. So, Melissa, uh, it's it's uh, David. Uh, the the question that that I have for you is, uh, she said last week she didn't want to increase taxes. Now that started yep. to remind me of. Congress member uh, Hochul and and uh, Lieutenant Governor Hochul. But then um, she's done this. I mean, th- in 2008, I didn't like that the legislature was trying to not cut the budget as much as I thought it should have been since we now had a $20.3 billion gap. And when they didn't do it, I wouldn't even discuss the pay raise issue with them and they they blinked. They didn't go ahead and try to pass one. Did anybody you know, vote Governor, against it? It's funny the pay raise? you raise that. Well, I was going to say, Governor, it's funny you raise that because I was saying to a reporter today, it's funny how little these reporters remember about very recent history. And I brought you up as an example. And I said, the power of the governor's office is understanding how to use the power of being governor. And when you're governor, you put the entire budget in extenders. And I remember that famous photo of you doing the line item vetoes. And you, you mean when all the bills were... piled up over my head? Yes. Ed Cox, I call it the Patterson extender, a great maneuver. <laughs> That's right. And so you had an example where, you know, Governor Pataki used the pay increase to, to get some things that were important to him, where you used the leverage of the budget in order to get right. what was important to you, and where Governor Cuomo did the same. And in this now, instance, you had her up at bat, and she did nothing. Now, Melissa, well, no, I got, very got quickly, only a minute do, left. Uh, do you have any thought on the appointment of the chief judge today? You know, I think that that was the right choice on that list. What I find interesting was the number of far-left socialists who came out of the woodwork to immediately say they're not going to vote for him. And I think it's going to set up a fight, and I'm not sure she's got the votes in order to pass it. You've got to assume all the Republicans go against her. And then, you know, can the Democrats actually get the votes together? But Very good. That's exactly how I feel. So the fact now, that the far last, left is against one more thing. him is a good thing. George Santos. What are we doing so, with George Santos? So George Santos, I think, is very interesting, and here's why I think it's interesting. It appears he is a total fraud. But so was Julia Salazar, who is a Democratic socialist who lied about being a Jewish immigrant who was poor. It turns out she wasn't an immigrant. She wasn't Jewish. She grew up in a neighborhood in Florida with Keith Hernandez. So a few years ago, something very similar happened on the left. And, you know, people, it was sort of like muted because it was on the left. In this instance, from what I've seen, and who knows, he's going to come out next week with his, you know, explanation, allegedly. But he appears to be a total fraud. Whose fault is that? You know, where was Newsday? Newsday had four races to cover. There's not one investigative reporter who checked the guy's background. It's, it's actually, I think, says a lot about it's the state of media today. And then also, frankly, the Robert Zimmerman campaign, that they didn't get that out there more. But it should have been a conversation. Robert in Zimmerman is a good guy. I know him for a long time. I'm, I'm, surprised he, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't do his homework on that. Great guy. And, you know, I supported him financially. I, I'm, you know, I think he's phenomenal. But, you know, this is a place where the media failed, where the campaign failed. And now, you know, there's the, the voters are sort of stuck with the results and we'll see what he has as an explanation. But it's like, you know, stranger than fiction. You can't make it up. Santos did say on Twitter, though, that he wants to assure everyone that he will address uh, everyone's questions uh, and that he remains committed to deliver the results. He all right. Let's on. see what happens. Melissa, Merry Christmas. And we'll catch up Merry with you Christmas, again soon. Everybody. Merry Christmas. Thank you for Melissa. all the hot news.
John, I think we should give Melissa a prize. We've played music twice now. Yeah, but, well, well, we, which we, we had gave, to say kept us engaged. Melissa, bonus time because she's great. Yeah, That's absolutely. It. Let's take that break and go to Lou Dobbs. Thank you, Melissa. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. On the line for us right now, we have Ty McCoy, the uh, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Air Force, as he's also a graduate from West Point and can go on and on. He joined the U.S. Army, ser- first serving as an Army Field Artillery Officer in Command and Staff Assignments in the U.S., Europe, and Vietnam. We can go on and on about your achievements. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Ty McCoy. Ty, thank, thank always, you very much. Merry nice Christmas. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of you. Thank you. Uh, give us an update. Uh, what do you think is really going on in Ukraine? Well, I think that the uh, determination and the ability of uh, the Ukrainians uh, to pull together, despite some internal difficulties, has gained them a lot of support and a lot of favor uh, in Europe and the rest of the world and the United States. And based on the a level of uh, animosity that Putin has shown, I believe that many in the West have decided that if the Ukrainians are willing and can fight as well as they have, that now is the time to draw a line in the sand as what was done by President Biden and the White House with the, the visit and the pledge to stick with the Ukrainians. Uh, and that is a very major a pledge and a very, very major commitment that is, as we've seen, is going to cost a lot of money. I think it's already a total of about $100 billion that has been either given or pledged to the Ukrainians, and I'm sure it will take a lot more because uh, the Russians seem to have doubled down. They've made some rather big mistakes. Uh, in the past, in World War II, the Russians had two things going for them, a very disciplined Communist Party, and a very trustworthy large ally in the United States when they were fighting the Germans. Now they have a very untrustworthy ally in the Communist Chinese Party and the Chinese ambitions, and also they have a very rotten oligarch and military leadership situation. So they are challenging uh, the the uh, history in a way that uh, puts them in a very difficult position and. Of course, when somebody has those types of weapons, nuclear weapons, there's also the concern of not wanting somebody to become too desperate, which is the major problem we have with the Ukrainian ambitions at this point. Ty, Ed Cox, uh, getting down to specifics, you were an Army field artillery officer. I was trained in artillery and ROTC in college. Artillery is known as the king of the battlefield. Uh, and it played a huge role in this uh, back and forth between the Russians and the Ukrainians. Could you talk about the use of artillery in it? Yes, artillery is uh, sometimes uh, uh, not as well regarded and as considered as important as the uh, armor forces, the tanks, the blitzkrieg, uh, the uh, the cavalry, the cavalry squadrons, the air assault units, uh, the airborne. Uh, and uh, the Rangers, uh, there are a lot of them in the infantry. But at the end of the day, the ability to deliver very large uh, sustained fires that are very pinpoint, uh, if you have both the trained crews and you have the logistics, you have the ammunition, uh, can put so much pressure on the opposing military force 
that the uh, other parts of their uh, capability begin to crumble under just the 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 shock uh, and the awe and the, the duration and the continuation and the, the ability of the artillery to find and fix and continue to uh, and, and that gave the Russians nerve. the advantage at the start uh, in the east and then uh, the high Mars came in and that changed the whole the whole scene did it not it did uh, the high Mars the ability of the US uh, and other allies to supply uh, Western munitions as well as some of the older uh, munitions the Soviets had given their East European allies at the time were given to the Ukrainians and together with the munitions and the uh, artillery itself, the artillery pieces, the ability to uh, network a lot of battlefield sensors, including uh, the drones, uh, satellites, uh, the ability to rapidly use artificial intelligence to locate uh, the uh, opposing forces, the Russian forces, the inability of the Russian forces at the tactical and operational level to have secure communications. They were using Ukrainian cell phone towers to communicate over cell phones. They left themselves very, very open to the uh, cumulative effect of what the Ukrainians could and would do and what the West was also helped them uh, be able to do. Mr. Secretary, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. I want to ask you, what should the United States be doing now in terms of giving armaments to the Ukrainians? Well, I believe that we have to continue to supply them uh, with uh, a a pretty uh, strong high-tech version of uh, munitions, uh, some that don't appear to uh, threaten the uh, main homeland uh, of Russia. At this point, it's sort of sad that the Ukrainians have to fight on their own soil and are not, at this time, able to take the steps forward into uh, attacks on the aggressor, uh, the Russian homeland itself. But they, as we know, uh, that is a very dangerous escalatory step, which could lead to the use of uh, battlefield, uh, tactical nuclear weapons, uh, and even chemical weapons. So uh, it's a war that is going to have to be fought within mm-hmm. certain bounds, yeah. the same as uh, in World War One, they used gas and other type of very bad weapons. And in World War II, they did not as much because each side realized that uh, the war had to be confined within certain parameters. Otherwise, Ty, be, we got a minute uh, left. Win. Anything else you want to tell people? Because it's you're right. We got uh, Putin right, you know, against the wall. Yes, it's a little dangerous. Uh, the uh, the conflict is fortunately been uh put into uh, a certain lane right now that uh, allows the uh, conflict to be played out for a while on the ground, despite the huge cost and destruction to the Ukrainians and also to the Soviet forces themselves. And so I think we have to wait and see what world opinion, what other countries are doing or willing to do, how the sanctions work, and just keep the pressure on without appearing to be uh, too pugnacious. Ty McCoy, former Assistant Secretary of, uh, of the Air Force, thank you so much, and thank you. You're a real patriot, and you worry about our country. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Kat. Thank, thank you, gentlemen and ladies. Have a good evening. Thank you. Good evening. Merry Christmas. Christmas. In the studio with us, more people for the party. We have with us Andrew Giuliani. 
Hello, Merry Christmas to all the WABC listeners. I'm with my beautiful daughter, Grace, and, and wife, Zaville, here. And I have to tell you, Christmas is a time for families, and there's nothing like being a part of the WABC family, whether you're in studio or out there listening. There's no better family in New York from the way I can tell it, John. Well, I'll tell you, we were together uh, lighting the menorah the other day. And uh, Grace was beautiful. She was always beautiful. Look how beautiful she is. And she is absolutely beautiful. So beautiful. Thankfully, she looks like her mom and doesn't look like her dad, and that's why she looks good. <laughs> and we celebrate all holidays here at WABC, right, whether it's lighting them nor a Christmas party. Absolutely. And Grace, say hello. Grace is just going to eat the mic right now. That's what I think she's going to do. Well, the cavalry is coming. Larry Kudlow is in the studio. Larry, what's going on? Oh, no. I mean, how, what, I saw Senator Mike Lee on your show, and he is mad as heck. He can't take it anymore. What did did Senator Schumer promise? Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. Right. Say say Merry Christmas to all. First of all, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Um, Even Governor Patterson. (laughs) 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 He's a very good fan. Uh, yeah, so, wait, so, so cinema and mansion had a case of immaculate conception. <laughs> and in eight minutes changed their vote on uh, Title 42. I saw Mike, Mike Lee says it was all won, it was all done. He had it. He eight, had it. eight minutes later. Just have to they wonder flipped. what they got. Poor, poor Mansion. He, he's such a dopey dope. He, he, he didn't even get his permitting bill. He got, I don't know what they got. Maybe they got a couple of earmarks. Maybe he they double got a, crossed. Maybe got a post office for them. Manchin. You know, the Joe Manchin Memorial Post Office. Cinema, by the way, with this vote against uh, Title 42 will lose her Senate seat next time around. Manchin double crossed the American people yes. twice. Twice. Larry Kudlow. I give credit to Mike Lee. Make sure you eat all the cookies. <laughs> we, don't, we don't eat cookies. This is the murderer's row here. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. Thank you. Bye. I'll Merry see you at the party. Merry Christmas, Larry. Merry, Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. And on the line with us uh, is Al D'Amato. Did you hear uh, Larry Kudlow just now? Mansion and cinema changed their votes in eight-minute differential and screwed the American people. What do you hear? Well, let me tell you, it does not surprise me. We've seen them back out in, in the past when we needed them, when the American people needed them. Uh, they ran out on us once again. I don't know what they promised them, but, uh, you know, they sold out the American people. And this crisis on the border is getting worse. You know, uh, John, today they came out and indicated that uh, the American death rate continues to increase this is the now going into the third year where uh, our people are dying younger and younger um, that that is not good and indeed the deaths through fentanyl have um, increased immeasurably we've had over a hundred thousand people I think it was 125,000 who died um, um, as a result of, of drugs fentanyl being the biggest contributor uh, to that. So I don't know why we don't see this as an incredible emergency. We know it's being shipped over, coming over with the drug cartels from Mexico. 
And, and we're, they we killed. They certified. Away. They killed 107,000 Americans so far in the last 12 months. Governor Patterson, you had a question. Senator, I was wondering if you've noticed on television, and there's nothing wrong with what was happening before, but there are these commercials where they say that the largest killer of children are guns. But that hasn't been true for nine to 12 months, and no one's changed those commercials. It's fentanyl. That's who needs to be going on television to warn parents about what's going to happen to their children. That's exactly what's taking place. A 25% increase in deaths over those directly as a result of fentanyl. It has taken over as the number one drug killer in the United States. As John said, over 100,000. I don't know what we're waiting for. And, and I have to tell you, um, it's about time that some of the local mayors began to wake up. I give Adams credit for saying we need a, a billion dollars. You're going to need a lot more. This is just in New York City. You, you've got to house people, feed people, educate people. This is incredible. And local governments are picking this up throughout the country. Tell you us know, what, other, what, what else did Mike Lee say, Senator Lee, uh, about the, the problem? Then we go to Judge Weinberg after that. Well, go ahead. Judge? Senator, I, I have to say what's deeply troubling. You know, the, yep. the, the mayors and some of the governors are asking for more federal money to take care of yep. the surge of illegal immigrants. That's not the answer. The answer is to enforce the immigration laws. Spending more money, throwing monies at the cities, they'll never have enough housing, not enough medical care, not enough educational institutions. They need to protect the border. And this bill that just passed specifically precludes money going to protect the southern border. What do you say about that? Well, let me say this to you. Um, The administration has sold out for political partisan reasons and you know in many cities including our own now you don't have to be a u.s citizen to vote and i think that's part of the scheme bring in millions undocumented unproven but they come in here they don't even have to become citizens and they can vote now they can't vote in federal elections thank god but you're seeing in more and more cities In more and more states, you will see that people who are not raised here in the United States, who do not share our values. Is that why the borders are open, to bring more more of those people who are going to vote for for, uh, uh, those people in? They're going to vote for for the Democrats. And this is part of the Biden administration's plan. I hope that's not the reason. Oh, my God. But, Senator and John, I don't think the statistics have shown that immigrants that come into this country automatically vote Democratic. They are well, they, they unloaded all the prisoners up. from South America and sending them here. I, I don't mean to, uh, let's be serious now. Come on. Cut it out. Who's running the cities? Where do they go? And, of course, they're going to be voting for, for, the, for the Democrats. That, that's part of this whole thing, bringing them in. It's called well, displacement they, you know, theory. Them. It's displacement okay. theory. They're changing the demographics. Well, well, when they went to Florida, they weren't voting for the Democrats. Well, and that was a long time ago. Guess what? Well, the Cubans got smart and the problem. Venezuelans got smart. They lived yeah, under communism. Had, first, first of all, you've got to be a citizen in Florida to vote in their state elections, okay? But you start looking at these cities where they have, and take a look and see. 
How many voted in New York, in the New York City, in the elections? Not U.S. citizens. Now, I always thought you should be a citizen. And you wait, wait till they start and, and try to, to, to do this in federal elections. Maybe once and for all we'll get a court ruling and take them to court on that. And they'll say, no, you can't. But that's part of this. That's part of the open borders. Uh, here we are. You have mayors begging for help. You got Adams saying we need a billion dollars. That billion dollars is a pittance in terms of what it will cost New York City and the taxpayers and the taxpayers of this state. You're you're absolutely right. Senator, you're absolutely right, but we're out of time. Thank you so much for telling the American people the truth. I wish you would try to go back to the Senate. Well, let me say this to you. I wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah to our our listeners, and may the new year be a good year for this country. God Merry bless. Christmas. Thank you so Merry much. Merry Christmas, Senator. Let's, uh, let's go straight to Lou Dobbs right now. Lou Dobbs is a special guest. He, uh, he's on WABC uh, giving us financial advice uh, three, four, five times a day. Uh, Lou Dobbs, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, John. Happy Hanukkah to everybody. Great to be with you. Well, thank you. And uh, let me tell you something. We we have a wild house here. There's a Christmas party going on. I wish you were here with us. And uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, but uh, you saw Larry Cudlow was just here, and and Senator Mike Lee was mad as hell. Uh, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> well, you know, I'd like to talk about uh, prosperity in the new year. I'd like to get through 2022 without uh, any much more damage. Uh, and the prospects, I think, are much brighter than a lot of people think for next year. Uh, I think we're going to see a, a, a real turn in the uh, in the marketplace and in also the economy. So, Lou Ed Cox here, you mean no recession in 23? Uh, a recession? We had a recession in 2022. That's people exactly right. It. it was the first six months of the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that. You know, this economy is much stronger. Balance sheets are much stronger than people realize. Unemployment is low. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, it'd be unheard of to Jobs have a recession are with uh, an unemployment rate this low. You're exactly right. Uh, Lou, uh, uh, the the Fed blinked a little bit and, and started to realize they're destroying the rest of the country. Uh, what say you? What do you think? Uh, uh, but, but the European Central Bank, didn't. Well, the European Central Banks uh, and indeed the rest of the of the globe have uh, really responded. To, you know, about ninety percent have uh, raised rates. Uh, they are acting in unison, if not unity. Uh, the The reality is that the Fed right now, I think, is aware that it's overdone it. It's overcooked. And Powell said that he's going to bring, you know, he used that wonderful word, pain. And when when a Fed chairman uses the word, there's going to be pain, uh, he means there's going to be pain for working men and women, small business people. And it's just not right. He has He's always tried throughout his tenure to lead the market rather than follow it. And a Fed president and a Fed chair have to be, uh, I think, cognizant of the, the market's direction, understand a little more than just what the status quo in that given moment. I don't think they've been successful at that. They missed uh, inflation for a year before they recognized it had to be dealt with. 
Well, the, the, the real estate industry, the real estate industry is uh, is devastated. There's construction, yep. uh, uh, housing starts are down. Construction is down. Uh, lumber prices are starting to fall. Concrete prices are starting to fall. Food prices are still going up because there's a lag factor in between the real estate industry and the food industry. Right. And the real estate industry can come back, though, quickly, as you know, uh, as well as anywhere in the country. There is a, there is a strength in the real estate market. It is uh, significantly uh, flexible and resilient. Uh, and and sensitive to price, it will with those rates down, it will come roaring back. Because again, there is significant liquidity, there is significant uh, strong balance sheets through just almost every sector. Well, uh, Lou Dobbs, we have 15 seconds left. Tell America what 2023 is going to be like. Uh, it's going to be a much better year, and one that I hope will be safe, healthy. Uh, and prosperous for all. Uh, and God bless. Merry God bless Christmas. you. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless you. And, and thank you for what you do. And tell the truth to the American people. God bless you. Thank you. And we all stand for one thing. What do we stand for? Truth, truth justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. Thank you. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.